and also hear from God's Word about the true meaning of Christmas. Uh, one of the things that really speaks to me every year is the food <laughs> about at Christmas time. I don't know about you, but I'm very much looking forward to the food. Last year, my family cooked um, uh, a big lamb, and this year, we have an even bigger lamb. We have more lamb than last year. And it's really interesting because there's a bit of a deeper spiritual meaning to the lamb, as you might imagine. Uh, on the one hand, I, you know, in the lead up, I sort of long for Christmas time. I long to taste the lamb. I imagine what it will be like. You imagine the lemon, the garlic, the salt, the olive oil, the basting, this beautiful smell that's sort of wafting around. You can just feel it and imagine it even now, can't you? as you're preparing yourself to eat this. And so do you, and I don't know if you're like me, but anyway, I do. I long for this months in advance. And then in the weeks leading up, as you're preparing the lamb, because I was yesterday preparing this lamb and literally, you know, like massaging in the rosemary, the salt, the garlic, the lemon, the olive oil, the good, like the good stuff, it's all in there together, preparing this lamb, marinating it with such anticipation. It's almost here. And then finally, tomorrow, the lamb will be revealed. Now, this is a very interesting uh, thought because sometimes we think about Christmas in the same way. We have a longing for it to be Christmas. Many of us take holidays around Christmas time. I don't know about you, that's what I'm uh, about to do. So Sunday afternoon, I'm on holidays for three weeks. I'm really looking forward to that. And many of us take you know, this time off so we can uh, enjoy ourselves, relax. It's part of the Australian cultural tradition. So we long for Christmas and what it means. But then there's this really interesting thing. So it's not just a, a physical longing, but it goes a little bit deeper because as we begin to anticipate Christmas, we have this deeper sense that there's more meaning behind this time of year. There's something almost metaphysical about it. There's purpose, there's meaning. We dream as if this Christmas time, and we look forward to it every year in the same way, will make all things right. Even when we expect a little bit that, you know, there's COVID pandemic and all, like, the hell is breaking loose around the country. In a sense, we still dream and imagine and even anticipate that all things will be made right. Even that the world will find its purpose and meaning again when it comes to Christmas time. And then finally, it's there and it's revealed. But there's this odd thing about Christmas. It's never quite as good as you imagine it to be. There's this strange thing, all the longing, all the anticipation, and then it's finally there. And it's almost a spiritual moment that you're looking for. You sort of put all your eggs in one basket. Finally, maybe this Christmas will be enough. You know, you might even be eating that lamb that we've been speaking about, but it's, then it's over. And then it has to come another year and you realise that, you know, you're back into it. You've eaten too much over Christmas. You've got to get all your New Year's resolutions. You've got to lose all that weight you put on over Christmas. You know what it's like. And it seems there's this odd situation where even the anticipation is more hopeful than the reality. The dream is better than the actual it, never lasts, but there's this feeling, this odd, even spiritual feeling, that it should, that it should last. And that deep spiritual feeling, that spiritual Christmas, is what I want to talk to you about tonight from the Bible. So there's three things I'm going to share with you. The longing, the anticipation, and the revelation of Christmas. So from our text uh, that was read out for us, there's a guy called Simeon. Right? He is very excited about what 
God is going to do at some point. It says in verse 25, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. So this is first century, you know, uh, ancient Israel. They are expecting that uh, God's king would come and sort everything out. So they're waiting for sort of a, a physical transformation to their nation. All their hopes, all their, all their eggs in this, are in this basket that God would come and sort everything out. And it's interesting, because you actually see this in the next couple of verses, that the Spirit seems to reveal this anticipation that it would come before Simeon died. We see this in verse 26. It says, He would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. So you can imagine, he and the whole nation of Israel have been waiting. God is going to come. He's going to send his king. He's going to right every wrong. Everything in the world as it should be, finally. It'll be the Christmas to end all Christmases. And he and he is revealed to him that he will see it before he's died. And then we see in the in the next set of verses that this great revelation is that the news and the coming of this king will not just be for Israel, but will be for the whole world. So Simeon is longing for something. He's longing for something physical, but then God's spirit reveals that it's deeper. It's more meaningful, it's more purposeful. God's Spirit reveals that it will be for all the people of the world. Good news of great joy for all people, we heard read out earlier. Now, this actually answers a deep spiritual longing in all of us. Uh, This is um, a little article written about C.S. Lewis. This is what it says. It says, in his autobiography, biographical work, Surprised by Joy, C.S. Lewis explored his own experiences with what he called the stab, the pain, the inconsolable longing that he was sure that all human beings felt. He wrote eloquently in The Weight of Glory about this desire for our own far-off country, the secret we cannot hide and cannot tell. We cannot tell because it is a desire for something that has never actually appeared in our experience. Our commonest expedient is to call it beauty, capital B, and behave as if it had settled the matter. Lewis argues that what we call nostalgia or romanticism or childhood flashbacks or even anticipating Christmas, in essence, a deep yearning for our own far-off country. But Lewis knew our lives are already haunted by this longing. Something in our inner psyche longs to possess that reality here and now. Isn't it interesting that the things that we want to get out of Christmas sometimes are more than it will give us physically. It's almost a spiritual longing. It's deeper than what you would imagine. And it was interesting because Lewis is talking, C.S. Lewis is talking about something in his books, which something that he experienced as he himself came to faith in Jesus. This is what he writes in his conversion story. He says, You must picture me alone in that room in Magdalene, Night after night, feeling whatever my mind lifted even for a second from my work, the unsteady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired, get this, not to meet. That which I greatly feared to come upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed, perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. I did not see what is now the most shining and obvious thing, the divine humility which will accept a convert even on such terms. The prodigal son at least walked home on his own feet, but who can duly adore that love which will open the high gates to a prodigal who is brought in kicking, struggling, resentful and darting his eyes in every direction 
for a chance of escape. See, C.S. Lewis is revealing that the longing that he had, he actually didn't want it to be God. Isn't that interesting? He, he calls himself the most reluctant convert because he was a staunch atheist. And yet this sense of a beauty, something that he couldn't really explain, but he knew that his spirit longed for, it was this sense that whatever was good in the world, he looked forward to, but when he had it, it never really satisfies. The physical was not enough. And so he didn't want it to be God, but he realized that it was. He realized that Jesus really was the thing that his soul was longing for. Okay, so that's our first one, the longing. The second, the second is this anticipation, this metaphysical sense of purpose and meaning. What does it really mean? There's a guy, uh, they call him the the shark app guy. I don't know if you've heard of this guy. It's really interesting. His name is Jason Igladen. He, he basically has uh, designed this app where he, set, where he records this footage of sharks and he sits and gets these drones up in the air around Bondi Beach every day and records these sharks you know, that are apparently quite close to people, unbeknownst to them, and then you know, re- uh, releases it to the world on this app and he's got quite a following. And he's trying to teach people that they shouldn't be afraid of sharks. Well, in an article, uh, this is what it's written about him, Jason Igledon. So he was 50, and he, he's 50 now, and he grew up in uh, southern Sydney's Sutherland Shire, fishing with his dad and surfing. When he left school, he went into building. Marriage, two kids, a son and a daughter, big house, and nice holidays followed. But he wasn't happy or confident. He was, get this, soul-searching. His words, I was doing all these exercises from this one particular book, uh, Origins by Catherine Hurst, to find your purpose and passion in life. You go back to your childhood and figure out what you love to do. So I was writing all these things down, surfing and fishing and all this stuff to do with water. And then Jason describes having this light bulb moment, this sort of spot of enlightenment. It just came to him. In his mind, he thought, sharks. Shark drone app, and then it would just record sharks, and that would bring him meaning and purpose. Right? And the article goes on. Now, Igladon was on a mission. His words Nothing was stopping me from going on my journey. However, his marriage ended messily. At first, my whole family pretty much ditched me because they thought I was going crazy wanting to go do this. Now, this is really interesting. Because the article basically ends there. And I was like, that's, that's not a great ending to, to a story. He sort of found his dream in sharks and yet his whole, he's left his family. His marriage, you know, like exploded. And so what's going on here? On this search for meaning and purpose, you know, which you could find from sharks, but not the cost of those things most dear to you. And so the question for him is like, At the end of his life, what will he wish that he had more of? Was it the sharks or the family that he missed out on? Yet he had this sense of metaphysical anticipation, that purpose and meaning in life, there was something out there that he just needed to grab hold of it. And of course, the thing that he wanted to grab hold of would eat him whole, right? And yet he was absolutely convinced there was something there. Now, Simeon, interestingly, did not have this had this same metaphysical, this same sense of that there was a, a purpose and meaning to life, that things would be made right. But his was revealed to him from a higher power. 
We see this in verse 26. The Holy Spirit. God spoke to him. God said that, there, that these longings that you have for things to be made right in the world, for the Christmas to end all Christmases, was going to come before you died. The great thing that would satisfy you, it wasn't going to be sharks, was going to be God himself coming as a man. Now, there is this interesting uh, concept here that I, I think we need to capture. You see, you notice in verse 25 that uh, Simeon was a righteous and devout man. So he was actually really good. He was an upstanding, moral citizen. He would have been highly religious. He seems that he spent a lot of time in the temple of God. And so he would, would have been well looked upon by other people. He would have probably felt good as well about being a righteous and devout man. And so you would expect then that he was living probably like a very good life. You'd expect then that he would be satisfied by this good life that he was living. But not so. His longing was not satisfied by the good life that he was living. It didn't actually meet him in his deepest needs. There was something more. He was anticipating and God revealed to him that his longing was that God would meet him in his needs. And this is true for you and me tonight. Our feelings of longing that there's something deeper that we really need of anticipation that this, we might find something that we pour our hopes and energies into that that thing will, or that person or that job or that belief system will finally get it right for us. And you want to get that right, don't you? Except Simeon discovered that it wasn't even through his own devotion, his own righteousness, even him being a really good person, it wasn't enough. And it's interesting, that's really the story of the Bible, is that humanity, even with its best efforts, cannot and does not make itself righteous enough before God. Look at the state of the world. We mess it up all the time. And so the story of the Bible is God comes to us. He becomes right for us. Jesus lives the perfect life. He lives the life that we ought to have lived but didn't. He lives a life that honours God. And he's the one that Simeon is anticipating. So we've looked at the longing. We've looked at the anticipation. But now the revelation. We've looked at there is a physical longing, but it's, it's probably a little bit deeper than that. We've looked at there's a, a metaphysical, a, there's a hope, a dream, an inkling in the back of our mind that there is something else that we're looking for in life. And thirdly, now we see that there is a spiritual revelation. I want you just to pick up on this, and this is a really clear pattern in three verses in this text. So it says in verse uh, 25, that uh, the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. Right? He was a righteous and devout man, but God's Spirit was upon him, was, was urging him to keep longing that God would make things right. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. Notice that God is involved in him realizing that his anticipation will be met by 
the Lord's Christ, God's King. And then verse 27, it says, And he came in the Spirit into the temple. As in God's Spirit is the one that reveals Jesus himself to him. This is the question for us tonight. Is God knocking on the door of your heart? We actually see this revelation come in the next few, te- a few verses. Now, verses 31 and 32. We see that Simeon's expectation had been exceeded. Not just that Jesus would be for Israel, but Jesus is for all people. This one who would satisfy our deepest longings, this one who would set the world right, have the Christmas to end all Christmases. He's coming and he's here for everyone. Not even just religious people, but the whole world. We see this in verses 34 to 35, that whilst this revelation of Jesus is exciting, is transforming, it's also bittersweet. We see that Jesus will bring salvation in suffering. His mother Mary will have a sword pierced through her own soul. It's described in verse 35. What does that mean? It means that Jesus coming to make things right will include his own suffering to do that very thing. And so we see that the revelation that is, has come to Simeon, that God is here, that Jesus is God in the flesh, has transcended the physical because he who is spiritual is now a man in the birth of Jesus. It has transcended the metaphysical, the desire for purpose and meaning. Jesus is the one that we're looking for. He's the one who will actually answer those things. That When we get to the end, it will be a true and total satisfaction, not looking for the next thing. Jesus answers the spiritual question for all of humanity, not just religious people. You see, Simeon was promised that he wouldn't see death before he saw God's salvation. But the Bible, at the end of this gospel, tells us that Jesus would see death in order to bring about God's salvation. That God's promise is that he would not avoid the suffering of this world, but that he would enter into it. Not only that we, that we would know that this God understands us, but that he loves us. That the greatest enemy that we have is actually not just out there, but it's in here. Because we all contribute to this humanity and we have failed at it. And Jesus comes to bear that consequence and penalty on himself, showing us a greater love than the world has ever seen and conquering death as he rises from the dead. And so what does this tell us? Well, this tells us that even Simeon needed to be saved. He was a righteous and devout man. He was someone who had lived a good life And yet even he needed Jesus. He tells us that religion is not enough. Coming to church at Christmas and Easter, I was having a chat with someone this week. He said he's a C&E Christian, a Christmas and Easter Christian. But it's not enough. Because even Simeon was righteous and devout, and yet he still needed Jesus. He was waiting for something more. You can't hang your hat on your church attendance. You can't hang your hat on your performance, your your morality, how good you are to your family, how successful you are in your career. 
The only thing that will truly transform and give you this deeper Christmas meaning and hope and purpose is Jesus himself. He is the one that brings salvation for all. And the last couple of weeks, I saw the uh, most recent Spider-Man movie. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to spoil it for you that haven't seen it. But there is a moment in the movie when... Uh, it's what um, sort of, you know, like screen um, critics call breaking the fourth wall. So you imagine there's the three walls... And then there's the fourth wall, that's where the viewer sits. And it's the moment in the movie when you feel like they're almost speaking to you. There's, there's sort of a sense and that they're not just, you know, in the moment the character's talking to one, and one another. No, they're speaking to the audience. They're, they're breaking through the fourth wall. And you'll know that the best uh, movies that do this do it in a quite a subtle way. And so there's a kind of aha moment. And you just wonder, oh, hang on a second, like... They're speaking to me. And this is the moment that Simeon had when God spoke to him. He had a moment when he'd had this longing and he'd even known from God that he would not see these things before he died and yet he realised that this was it. That he could die knowing that everything that he had been looking for had been fully and completely satisfied. You see, this happens to us too. Jesus moves from the words on the pages of the Bible into our hearts because it's not just words on a page. This is written in history. And Jesus is not just you know, someone who's not here. He's someone who sits in heaven now at the right hand of the Father, calling to all of humanity to turn to him, to turn away from the hopes of this world which will fail us. You know, like the drone shark app guy who's poured all of his hopes and dreams into something that will never truly satisfy. And yet Jesus calls us to turn to him. I think this is uh, well described, actually, this sense of a spiritual revelation uh, in the uh, last few words of the last book of the Chronicles of Narnia. You see, written by C.S. Lewis. I mentioned C.S. Lewis earlier because as he really puts his finger on this sense of longing that actually is not just a religious thing, it's a humanity thing. And it's something that he experienced and it's something that he wrote about in his books, the Chronicles of Narnia. He, he wrote about this, this faraway country and these children that go on adventure, that they, they go through a wardrobe to, to have these adventures in this land, and to them, they start to love the land that they're going to more than the reality of where they're from. They fall in love with another place. They realize that what they experience there is better than what they've got here. And in the last pages of the last book, and we sort of get to the end of the story of Narnia. Narnia's sort of had a, a great and final battle, and, and the good guys win. And the, the great lion, the great king of uh, Narnia has come, and he's destroyed the enemies. He's set everything right as it should be, and yet the children are worried that they're going to be sent back home again. And it was interesting because they actually arrived, it seemed, during a train crash, 
And they arrived in Narnia unexpectedly this time. And this is what the book says. It says, Then Aslan turned to them and said, You do not look so happy as I meant you to be. Lucy said, We're so afraid of being sent away, Aslan, and you have sent us back into our own world so often. No fear of that, said Aslan. Have you not guessed? Their hearts leaped and a wild hope rose within them. There was a real railway accident, said Aslan softly. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. You see, Lewis wrote something into fiction which is true for you and me tonight. Is that God's promise of a, of a better place is true. It's entered into through the figure that Aslan represents, which is Jesus. Someone who will satisfy our deepest longings. Someone who will set the world right. Someone who is returning with a Christmas to end all Christmases when everything will be dealt with. All the evil in the world will be removed and God himself will rule over all of his people. And you and I are invited to be a part of that this Christmas, to set aside other hopes, to find our longings and our anticipation and our spiritual reality found in him. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that uh, you have told us of uh, this truth about yourself. You revealed yourself to us in history. May you show us... Uh, how we ought to respond tonight. Lord, bring us before yourself in humility of heart that we might love you as you first loved us. We might respond in kind and give our whole lives for you for you first lived, died and rose again for us. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.